Hey everyone, it's Joe. Welcome to another episode of the Future Business Analyst podcast. My guest today is the mighty Adrian Reed, Principal Consultant at Blackmetric, Editor-in-Chief at BA Digest, and as we all know, Adrian likes a good side project. He's also co-founder of BA School Day along with Tina Lovelock, author, speaker, but mainly a BA, and co-workers would describe him as an unapologetic diva. He jokes, but only slightly. Only slightly, Adrian, at least you didn't insist on a bowl of blue M&Ms for coming on this show, so I appreciate that. It would be brown M&Ms, Joe, you should know. It's, uh... Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, welcome to the show, Adrian. Thanks for joining me today. No, thank you. My, my pleasure to be here. We always start at the beginning. Um, why don't you tell us how you found this profession or perhaps how it found you? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I'm one of those BAs, Joe, and this may resonate with you, where I think um, business analysis found me uh, and I was actually working in an insurance company and I was pretty much on an underwriting career path but I was always the sort of person that looked to try and improve processes. I was very junior in, in, in my career, and, and I, I sort of got into what was then called e-commerce, not the kind of e-commerce we would consider to be e-commerce now, uh, but it was uh, you know brokers, insurance agents, sending electronic messages over um, with these horrendous data standards that were used at the time. Um, and, and so I sort of got into projects on that and got into um, what we would probably now call IT systems analysis. And then as I started to get involved in change to IT systems, I started to understand the importance of the business and the process element of the change. Um, and then the organization had a restructure and suddenly there was this role called business analyst. And I the more I found out about it, the more I was like, okay, well, hang on a minute. This is what I've been doing and this is what I enjoy doing and this is what I want to do. Um, and then once I knew that, it was like a light bulb came on for me. And I then subsequently, you know, did some actual training in business analysis because I knew it was a, a, an actual role and then moved on, you know, to a different company to become lead business analyst and, you know, and so on and so forth. So went through various domains. So, yeah, so it found me, I think. <laughs> Yeah, and as you say, it is a story that resonates. I think it does find um, many of us where we start, you know, if we've got a mind for that improvement, we start seeing things that we can change and then suddenly there's a role for us, right? Um, yours emerging sort of quite early on, I guess, in, in the maturity of the profession. How have you seen things change over the years from when you first started to now? So I think, well... So I'll start by answering that question in a really odd way. <laughs> One thing that hasn't changed is I think there's a sense that business analysis isn't as recognized as it should or could be. And when I was first involved in this, there was like, we were always fighting up against the, oh, but you're part of IT, right? Yeah. Like, and, and organizationally, in that organization, we were part of IT. And we were really struggling to say, actually, look, but don't, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you don't need to make all of your decisions about solutions and only involve us when you think there's IT involved, because actually we, we provide bigger services there. And that was a, a battle we were fighting at the time. Um, and, but I think there's that, that misunderstanding in some organizations is still there, it isn't in others. But I think there is still a feeling amongst many practitioners that people like almost like people don't get us yeah um and and i think there's work for all of us in the community to do to um you know to to, to sort of collectively get over that which perhaps will come on to as a separate topic um but in terms of what's changed i think you know in terms of the fundamentals fundamental skills beneath it all are still really sound because you need to be able to problem solve you need to be able to understand processes you need to understand data things like this and uh, but of course the actual mechanisms the deliverables the artifacts the way they look have definitely changed 
you know, I'm far more likely if I think about the projects I've, you know, I've, I've worked on in recent years, it's far more likely to be buy rather than build. That might, that might just be because of the types of clients I tend to work with. Whereas, you know, in my, like in my, the first part of my career it was on, you know, making changes to an existing, what we would now call legacy mainframe. I mean, it was probably legacy at the time to be honest, but it was homegrown, whereas there's yeah. sort of less of that. But then there's the recognition that, you know, organizations have got, have normally got a bit of a hodgepodge of technical architecture and process architecture and organizational architecture. So you find yourself having to understand all of that. Um, so I think, I think, you know, obviously there's, there's more agile practices to a greater or lesser extent. I see a lot of agile in, in name only, which again is a whole separate topic, but there's, there's, I think, what underpins all of this is an expectation that the pace of change has to be quicker. Yeah. And often people say, or I find people say, oh, well, we want to be agile. What they actually mean is we need the ability to realize benefits quicker and get stuff out the door quicker, of which some agile methods may help us achieve that, may, may help us achieve a part of that. So I think that's an element to it. And, you know, and I think, but but a real biggest two two related things that have changed the cadence speed velocity and ferocity of communication is just so much like like when I I'm, and this is where I'm going to sound like <laughs> so I'm going to say like, I used to live in a windmill or something you know, it's that kind of crazy um, uh, sort of but like I, like when I first started my career I, I was in an insurance broker and our main communication with the insurance companies we dealt with were by phone. Or yeah. by memo, right? Yeah. Printed memo, which if it was urgent would get faxed, right? Yeah. And 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 so things happened in a, quite a batchy way because you had an end of day batch that got physically mailed. Yeah. That kind of cadence just doesn't cut it today. But the, the flip side of that is, I think we work in a permanently distracted world where everyone's at meetings and everyone's at meetings replying to Teams, Teams, you know, Teams messages and WhatsApps, and so. If I was reading, and in fact, it's, uh, it just happens to be here because I was I was making some notes on it, but an excellent book by Petra Velzebor, um, Begin With You, um, which is actually about mental health and, and cultures in organisations. But I, I haven't got the exact quote. I won't be able to find it. But she basically says that, you know, focus is the new competitive commodity, right? Like nobody has focus. And I, I was reading it thinking, yeah, I work, I, I work in a distracted way and actually just carving out time to think. So I've gone on a really rambling stream of consciousness <laughs> there, Joe. So pick, pick the bones out of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, I guess that's that's my part of this conversation to try and do that. And, and you did um, drop lots in there. But it is, it is really interesting how things have um, changed. And there, there's no one simple answer, is there? It, it's no. the many sort of different complexities that, that you brought in. Um, I mean, let's maybe focus on that word focus because I do think it's very important. Um, you talk about these times when it was, um, when communication was much slower. I, I was remembering back to when there was a mailroom guy, you know, he had a trolley and you put your memos on that yeah. trolley and yeah. you, you might be lucky if it reached the floor above or below by the next morning, right? Um, it was a completely different pace. And now as you identify, just, the pace of change, the pace of expectations, the pace of meeting needs is what was the word you? I think you used the word ferocious, didn't you? Because it is um, ferocious. And that ferocity is probably only going to increase as we get into the next few years. How, how do you think as, well, I don't even want to say as BAs, I think just as general professionals, just as as people, what what sort of tactics are you starting to put in place to be able to cope with that? So I think there's two elements to that. There's the there's the almost like the the it's it's cutting out the this is a, a sort of probably a physicist's view. Not that I'm a particularly good physicist, but it's cutting out the signal from the noise for me personally. Okay. And I think that applies at different levels. It sits at the organisational level, the t a team level, and an individual level. So, like I, I mean. You know, you, you you and I have never like directly worked together, but we've collaborated on stuff together. And 
you know me well enough to know if you send me a WhatsApp message, I will reply to it, but probably not straight away. And there's nothing, and that's just that. That's yeah. you know, unless it's urgent, that's that's kind of fine. So I, I think there's an element of understanding the signals that need an urgent that actually need an urgent response and understand the signals that might be somebody else's crisis but making a decision over whether to make it your crisis or not as well and that, and that's going to sound really harsh but like you can end up you know you, if you're working on a business critical product a business critical you know, if this thing doesn't launch, we're, we're not going to be compliant at the end of the month or whatever. And someone draws you out to work on something that is far less important then you've potentially, yeah, you've helped them with their crisis and created a crisis of your own sort of thing. It's really easy to do. And but I, but I think more broadly than that, and I'm, I'm going to bring it back to BA techniques because I can't help myself. But if you think about a context diagram, yeah. And I know that's one of those things. You say context diagrams. There are so many different flavors. But just imagine a circle with some boxes around and some arrows coming in, those arrows representing data flows. Um, you, you know, you could almost imagine, imagine them like message flows. A business event's happened and some adjacent system or adjacent actor is telling you something. And your bit in the middle has to decide whether or how to respond. And that kind of thinking can apply at an individual level, right, okay, someone sent me an email saying, uh, you know, they want me to review the eBay purchase that I've made. I may or may not actually want to do that, right? Just because it's come in doesn't mean it's that I'm yeah. going to do it or I'm going to do it now. Organizations need to do that as well. You know, someone sent in a suggestion, uh, they think you should do something completely differently. Of course, listen to it, but triage it. And if it's not in line with your strategy, probably just write back and say, thank you very much for the feedback, but you know, we're a discount airline. No, we're not going to offer free food to all of our passengers or whatever. I mean, that's a crazy example. So, yeah, I think it's about triaging, understanding that there's going to be noise, prioritizing and and setting those boundaries. And, and, and unfortunately, and even on a personal level, say no to stuff, right? Because there's yeah. so much stuff. There's so much stuff we all could do. And oh, my word, I, I got stuck in an Instagram hole yesterday. I was scrolling, scrolling. I was thinking, well, I'm just, you know caught in a scroll hole i mean it's easy to do <laughs> yeah no it's easy to be distracted I, I like what you say about signals and reading signals and um i think it's aligning signals with other people and i feel like you said this but i'm reminded of a sign that somebody had on their desk once they're an analyst programmer place i worked all 15 years ago that sign on their desk said bad planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on mine and i feel like that's the crux of what you're saying here in a way it it, it is and i think i i think i see I, i've heard that and i like it and i think that's that's the essence of it but with with empathy because that that's and i'm not saying that 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 statement doesn't have empathy but there may well be people that we can help we just can't help them immediately yeah. or it's a case of well actually do you know what i'm i just can't because i'm working on this but do you know what actually there's a junior ba who's really trying to get experience in this and you know they can't do exactly what you need but do you know what if you two work together they've got some capacity so you know hooking people up in that way so i think you know it is you know, sometimes a yes and can, can yeah. be a good response to those sorts of things. Yeah, it's, it's maybe saying, not not saying no, as you said, but saying, no, I can't, but I can help you in another way and, and making that connection for somebody. And of course, those signals, as much as it might be bad planning on that other person's part, doesn't mean that it's not important and it actually doesn't need your response. And that's just the way it has to be at that time. And, and and the thing is, we never really know what pressure that person was put under when they when they were planning, and what politics was going on, and we don't know what position they're in. So I do, so I think the essence of that statement, I've, I've I think it's it's spot on. But I think if we wrap it in a an empathetic um, wrapper, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And maybe let's go with the flow of this empathy because I think empathy is going to be hugely important, isn't it, as we go forward? Because as you say, with the pace, with the 
voraciousness of it all, we're going to find ourselves in that situation more and more. So empathy is going to be a, a, a big tool to, to help other people. Well, and, and, and this is where, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to probably, I, 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 I try not to be controversial, Joe, I really do. But so Lean Six Sigma are excellent process improvement methods and methodologies. So nothing I'm about to say is intended as a dig at any, in, in any methodology. I think they're both fantastic and have their uses. It is easy when some process methodologies are misapplied, in my view, to end up cutting out all of the slack, creating so much standardization that when someone who has a need that doesn't fit the script, they're an edge case and they're excluded, right? And it reminds me of, I, I remember when I was a kid having a, I don't know how you describe it, but like a bucket and the bucket had like a lid with different shapes on right so and you had these little blocks you'd have a star block that fit through the star hole and a you know you know the kind of thing I'm talking yeah. like a round hole and, and you know and then and then you could jam them in like I would do because I'm awkward like that but anyway um, more sensible children would have done it the right way I'm sure uh, but the point is that I think a lot of when when, when there's no slack what you what the interface that we present to our customers, whether that's over the phone, whether it's an online interface is right. Okay. Um, is your query a square, a star or a circle? And you go, no, well, it has to be. So, <laughs> it, you know, and so I've had this experience that, you know, I have a elderly relative who very, very sadly lost mental capacity through dementia, absolutely traumatic. Anyone going through that, you have, you know, it's a horrible journey for everyone around them. And in the UK, the way that that happens is the person in advance makes a what's known as a lasting power of attorney, which means that someone else can take on their affairs when they can no longer do so. Um, and there are hundreds of thousands of power of attorneys, probably more. But every company you deal with, it's like, oh, God, we've never seen one of these before. Oh, we don't know. Right. Well, and, and you end up having to like for two well for one government one government department i had to go to the director general to get stuff sorted i kid you not um and for one telecommunications company um i had to basically take them to the regulator because they were refusing to deal under power of attorney and you kind of go i get why this is happening though it's because the people on the front line are saying well no we only deal with the person if you're not them yeah then sorry we can't help you it's like well okay you know, and and you get, and then you get the really unempathetic responses. Well, can't you just remember? Can't you just ask him to remember his password and give it to you? Well, no, because actually he can't remember who anyone is and he can't speak. And yeah, yeah and like so, that's where you kind of lose the the empathy yeah. because the empathy is squashed out through too much un unthinking automation. And automation isn't bad, but unthinking automation is and unthinking systemization, like scripting, right? I don't necessarily mean IT system, but giving someone a script and saying, don't deviate yeah. from it. So yeah, 100% yeah. ethics ethics and empathy, so important. Ethics, yeah, it is. And I'm going to circle back to your comment on the edges. And I'm thinking of a, I'm also doing the thing where I revert to business analysis, but I'm thinking of a process diagram and we've got an exception. And maybe the exception doesn't have a flow apart from to say, Give to a department that can deal with the unusual and be exactly, about it. and that's it, right? Because, uh, and this is it. Because sometimes when I talk about things like this, people say, "Oh, but you can't ever define processes for all the exceptions." And I say, "Yes, I agree. I agree. You can't. You know, or you could, but it would take you so much time." And you know, and you know, and an example, a crazy example I always use is, "Would you know what? If the head of state rang." and you know said they want something you might cut them some slack given their head of yeah. state right you know like yeah. the president or king yeah. or queen or whatever in your, in your jurisdiction you're probably going to have a different process for them but yeah. like don't define that unless you know they're you know unless you know they're a customer right 
So, um, I mean, there's an ethical question about whether the process should or shouldn't be different, but you might need extra security because, you know, you've got the king or president or whatever visiting. So, you know, but yeah, I agree. That's, that's you know, for uncommon exceptions, all you need is someone, you need people to have the ability to see, oh my word, something else is different here. It isn't right for us to exclude that person or fob yeah. them off. Let's, someone who's got some autonomy to make the decision, let's pass it on to them. Yeah, um, and to come, yeah, to so to come back, sort of to circle around. I mean, you you mentioned agile and agility at the beginning. Now you, you've now mentioned, um, I guess, following processes that choke particular situations. Agile is a means to agility, right? But it, it it's not the end result, is it? It's just Correct. a path to get there. Well, or one yes, path to get there. Yeah, it's it's part. In my view, agile product or software delivery methods are a part of a, of a whole series of things that used to happen in an organization to create agility, right? So again, this is a ridiculous example, but only because I, I was, as I was mentioning earlier, earlier before we, we went live, I had my optician's appointment today. My eyes haven't changed, which is good. Uh, but one of the things I noticed on my walk uh, to the opticians is in Portsmouth, we have lots of these uh, electric scooters. I don't know. Do you have them? Yeah, we where, do. Where yeah, yeah, right. And they're in a really weird legislative situation in the UK because um, they it, it is legal to make them, it is legal to sell them, um, but it is not legal to use them on any public p piece of land, right, or highway, because they, from what I gather, they fall into this weird classification of vehicle that you you can use legally as long as you get vehicle excise license, uh, vehicle excise duty or road tax, as it's sometimes known, um, and insurance. The issue being that you can't actually get either of those things and there are other reasons that it doesn't fit into the Road Traffic Act or whatever, right? So you've got this bizarre situation where you've got a thing being sold that is definitely being used on public land um, that, that is not legal and the police probably haven't got the time or inclination to... Yeah. To, to enforce against anyway and and then and then there are then there are side schemes to where you you, you can legally rent them and stuff and it's all it's, it's very blurry but the, but the point there is that's an example and it's a crazy example but technology has moved more quickly than the law right? yeah the government cannot legislate and there's not enough legislative time in the uk parliament I'm, i would suggest to legislate as quickly for the technology that's emerging okay now Think about legislative agility, right? Writing legislation so it can actually be, uh, you know, a quickly adapted uh, for emerging technology. That's something I'm sure the senior civil servants in governments would, would will be thinking about. That's necessary for agility in those organisations, but has nothing to do with agile, right? Yeah. But there's exactly the same thing in organisations at like policy and strategy level, because because like go, going back to that, <laughs> going back to that crazy bucket analogy with all the different stuff, right? Imagine those are the shapes, like those are the things that are out there in that bucket's environment, and if there's a shape that doesn't fit, the bucket can't really service its environment anymore, right? Mm. It's like an organisation; something happens. Perhaps there's a new social trend, right? You know, and it can't if it doesn't see it, it it can't respond to it. Mm. So it doesn't even know the signal. The signal is there, knocking against the thing, and and the, you know. So I think agility, like agile, is is a great way of delivering, you know, working software in a really effective way when it's done well. But there's a whole organisational thing that needs to change, mm. where the organisation needs to be looking outwards needs to actually be talking to its customers. It needs to be, uh, you know, actually living agility, a macro perspective, not just saying, well, yeah, we want to deliver stuff quickly, but you know what? Uh, we also want you to commit to estimates, budgets, and we, we've got our, t here's our 10 year strategic plan. Can you give us a five year roadmap, please? You know, so there's, there's that kind of level as well. <laughs> Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, you raised some great, um, great points as much as like one area is being sort of encouraged to be more flexible, more agile, more fluid. 
there does reach this point where it starts to knock against the bucket and say, well, actually, we're, we're sort of unable to do this. Um, I'm joining a few dots here, I think. I, I, I want to come back to what you, you made a brief comment about sort of people not understanding what the BA does, you know, and perhaps being a problem um, fr from the outset of, of the role. I'm going to use one of your phrases here just, just to lead you into this. Um, you say you, you, you try and avoid to be controversial. I think some controversy might be good, Adrian. Um, BA's losing the learned helplessness, okay? Yeah. And I just want to tie this into what I'm hearing from you is that um, BA's can step up and actually play a much bigger role in questioning things like ethics, in questioning things like, you know, your shape sorter and perhaps just driving change a little more um, proactively than they do right now? I think there is a huge opportunity for anyone who has the appetite to do that. And I think there's actually a risk so, uh, and again, uh, this may be controversial, but, you know, I've seen situations before where BAs have been brought in too late. It happens, right? We've all been there. And almost like the situation is right, you know, you're brought in, we're agile. So um, the, the devs haven't got any user stories. We, like, So write user stories. Write as many user stories as you can. Oh, no, don't ask those questions. Just write, like, we just need user stories. Like, user, and it's and it becomes like, a user story factory where it's like no just write stories 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 it's like this this industrial complex of as a you know so that and and but actually in that situation sometimes the the most courageous difficult but courageous thing to do is say okay uh, let's let yeah okay let's put some seed stories in but i'm going to start at quite a high level to work out but let's actually work out what we're building here and whether it's the right thing because otherwise I can write some really, really effective stories that deliver precisely zero value because, uh, oh, and by the way, what are we doing about non-functional requirements here? Has anyone considered mm. those? Because are we, are we really going to do them as stories? Maybe we are, probably not, though. We're probably going to do them differently. And, how, and how, are we just using... So, so I think there is this... Quite often we get into a situation where others are... And it comes back to that crisis on other people's, you know, someone else's crisis... Well, you know, the, de the outsourced dev team are telling us they can't do anything because they haven't got stories. And there's probably a whole other, you know, so I think sometimes saying, yeah, we can do that. But alongside that, I'm going to help you understand the problem statement. I'm going to do a context diagram or whatever. And I want to, you know, and in two weeks, let's have a checkpoint and just see where we're at and see if we're going along the right way. Because do you know what? Agile and agility is also about having the ability to, to pivot. So, you know, let's let's not start and just by asking what everyone wants and coming up with a Santa's wish list of, you know, inconceivable and incoherent requirements or stories. Let's actually figure out some of the really big questions as well. So, yeah, but the, the learn, oh, just sorry, circling back to the learned helplessness. I mean, and I really hope this isn't controversial, but like if people don't get the value of what we do, that's on us. Yeah, like it's a harsh truth. It took me a lot long time to learn, but like I, I felt like I was being a teenager. Like, oh, nobody understands me. These people <laughs> don't. Know. Nobody gets me. You know. I mean, I was one step away from you know dressing like what's his face from the Cure and getting um, that's a reference that no one will get anyway. So except <laughs> me and me and you, Joe. So, so I was getting my nail varnish ready, but uh, no. So you know, so but like feeling mis misunderstood. Uh, but actually, like if we cannot articulate our value then we don't deserve a place at the table and it, like i know that's a horrible thing to hear and to say but like it's not a new role if we can't explain it and if we can't sell it then the problem is at least partially on us i'm gonna i'm gonna give that caveat to anyone who's oh. who's now gonna write to me with hatred <laughs> <laughs> no yeah misunderstood teenager i think is is the perfect analogy for it because it is it's sort of this blaming the outside world for the situation that we're in when actually we need to do a better job of articulating but also demonstrating i guess you know not yes. just saying but acting and showing that you know there there is a, a valuable place for this stuff 
I mean, a phrase that I heard from Laura Brandenburg probably 15 years or more ago was um, credibility comes through delivery. And it has stuck with me ever since. And I've probably I've used it myself. You know, credibility comes through delivery. Um, it might have been Laura Brandenburg. It might have been Paula Bell, actually. I, I might have heard either of them or both of them say that at some point. But very inspirational people, you know, folks yeah. listening. You know, Laura Brandenburg, Paula Bell, look them up, connect with them, awesome people. Um, and I think there's a huge amount to that. But, you know, I, I think that, and I don't think, I think, again, this is one of those things that is at a practitioner level, it is also at a team or department or internal community of practice level. But also, you know, we have a global virtual community of practice. You and I have never worked together for the same organization, but we know we can pick up the phone to each other. And if, you know, if I want, if I like, if I it's like, oh, Joe, you've worked on such and such. Can you give me some tips? I know you'd take the call and vice versa. You know, I would take the call. And that is, that's a community of practice that spans beyond an organization. And I think by doing the sort of thing that you're doing here, Joe, with, with podcasts and the other great content you create, this is about getting the message out as well to, you know, to each other. But hopefully then it, it filters, you know, it periphrates through beyond business, beyond business analysis as well. So I think, I think there's that, like, you know, the, the community of practice element to it as well. There, there, there is, um, and I'm going to come back to that, but via something else. I was in training the other day and somebody gave me a great analogy for what they see happening with business analysis and some of the other roles that are emerging more recently. They described it as a shiny red apple. And they said that PAs used to have a shiny red apple and then somebody came along and took a bite out of it, right, and said, we'll handle that. You could call them a product manager or whatever you want, imagine any role here. But then somebody else came along and said, we're going to take a bite of this apple too. And it was maybe a user research analyst. And, you know, there's all these different sort of niche professions emerging do you see that continuing um over the next while becoming even more defragmented yes but i but i don't think it matters because like so like uh, and this is another uh, and this so 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 it's really interesting because the work i do with the clients i work with quite often people will say oh you, you know what you're what you do is business architecture isn't it and um, Maybe some of it is, or, or oh, okay, well, you know what what you do there is product management. Okay, Don't, fine, yeah. But then, then actually, I think it's the opportunity is, or uh, to borrow that analogy, is rather than just have a having a red apple, is let's have a whole cocktail. Let's you know, let's actually, I'll br I'll bring this is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring my apple. You know, you bring your orange and your pear. Let's put them in a, in a bowl and and have a piece each. And and then we've all got more flavors. And and yeah, I might still be seventy percent apple. And if you've got a question about apple cider, you come and speak to me. Uh, but uh, you know, but actually, I can do enough orange uh, and enough pear. But knowing that the experts in pairs and I, this is analogies, I've stretched it too far, Joe. I'm flogging it, but you know, but you get you get the point. It's about yeah. I, I think Nick Devoyle, who again another hugely inspirational person. That if you're listening, follow Nick Devoyle. He he says things that I generally only see the significance of about ten years later, and I, this was probably nearly 15 or 20 years ago now at an IIBA event, I remember him saying that, you know, sometimes people say, well, you can't be a BA and do X as well. And my response is, why not? You know, mm. uh, the boundaries are only there because we made them. Yeah. And, and I'm going to say that again. To like, the boundaries are only there because we believe in them. Mm. And because sometimes because it's organizationally convenient for the boundaries to be there. Yeah, and, and yes, there's there's got to be clarity around roles and races and these sorts of things, but they don't have to be as they don't have to be concrete. They can be, you know, knowledge can and in my view should. It's it's really exciting. I find it when knowledge comes from from adjacent roles. You know, when I work with UX professionals, I learn loads. 
because there's similarities in what we do. And I'd, I'd like to think they learn some, maybe something as well. When I've worked with, you know, other, uh, you know, other disciplines, I've learned loads. So I think it's more about saying, yeah, do you know what? People might have a bite out of our, our, our fruit, but, you know, but actually it's two way. And why not take the opportunity to take a bite out of their world, uh, you know, and do it collaboratively and make it non, non-zero sum? Um, it would, would, would be my view on it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's a great view. Um, yeah, uh, the fruit cocktail. Uh, one, one of the important things for me in there was actually saying, you know, I can do a bit of pear, but I'm not a pear. And, and exactly. I, and and, and that, that's the point where, you know, you know, I can help you, but if you want more help, then we might need to take you to see a specialist, you know, who, who really that, that, can that's get it. into it. And, and, and that's it. Like, so, for example, I know that I, I know there is so much I don't know about quality assurance and testing like you know QA and testing and there are people who, who specialize in yeah. that whenever anyone asks me about that I'll say look I, I can give you a very very brief and probably an accurate overview of some stuff you need a QA and testing professional here it's not it's not so one it's not yeah. something I know about and it's not something that excites me but luckily it's something that excites a whole bunch of people yeah. who I love working with I love working with QA and testing professionals and you know and 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 I can, you know, in that situation, why I can perhaps introduce you to someone. Some, so there's that element of knowing when to hand off and knowing yeah. when to recommend or bring in. Because And that works both ways, right? Because you then find that perhaps someone's speaking to a QA and testing professional and say, oh, do you know what? I, I, like, I can give you a bit about business analysis, but go and speak to Joe, right? Like, we yeah. really need to bring Joe in on this. So it's that kind of collaborative constellation of people that get stuff done, right? The, yeah. the, the disciplines that get stuff done, all collaborating to get stuff done and making sure when they see someone's not there, it's like, oh, shouldn't we have some, you know, enterprise architecture here? Seems a bit lacking, you know, that that type of thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, you make a great point in there. You know, it, it comes back to you, doesn't it? It's like you refer one way, but it's not one way. It, it goes both ways. And so, as you say, we built up that collaboration um, and I'm reminded as well, one thing I often say when you do find a sort of um, a learned helpless BA is that you think you've got it bad. You should try being a tester. They get involved much later. They are given totally. much less focus and um, they get on with it and do it within the constraints that they've got. Yeah. And, and I mean, I have huge amounts of respect for QA and testing professionals because one of the things I think they're in my experience, very good at is saying, okay, you've given us, you, you, you know, you've dealt us these cards. Here's the tacit risk you're now, yeah. you know, you, you, here's the tacit risk you are now taking if we can only have that length of time to do what we need to do. So, you know, what do you want to do? Yeah. Inform, and, and, and I think that that's another important point is I've never got like, well, I do have an issue because as you mentioned at the beginning, I'm known as a bit of a diva, but like I don't have an issue with an informed decision maker saying you've got less time to do your analysis as long as I have put forward the case yeah. that if you if you cut down to this, here are your risks, here's what's going to happen, yeah. here is the organisational debt you're going to be carrying if we do this. You're fine with that, okay, well, do you know what? It's your budget, you're commissioning this piece yeah. of work, fine. Um, and, you know, and that and that sometimes is life, sadly. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is about that storytelling and I normally find if you tell the story well enough, yeah, you can you can know you can win them round, but not always. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it's going beyond just go. Oh, well, you know, I never get, or or they won't give me, or whatever. But actually, as you say, it's responding and say, okay, if that's the way it is, then you're going to miss out on X, Y, and Z. I'm not going to be able to do this. That's the con- potential consequence. Are you happy? And if they say I, yes, I, move on. Or, or even better, I like to do it. Okay, so these are your constraints. Are they hard constraints? Can they, can, you know, like you said, ten days? Can it? Is it really ten, or could it be eleven? Mm. Um, like if if I could, you know, so, okay, so you know, or like you know, if you can start to play mm. to find out what the real constraints. Are. Okay, fine. So um, here here's what I can deliver in ten days or whatever. But how about we? You know, I mean, just I'm just picking ten as a random. <laughs> A bucket of bucket of days but but how about we do five and then have a chat and see where, how we're getting on because and, and in my mind i'm thinking because you know your view, the, the execs view or whoever 
might have changed when they start to because credibility comes through delivery remember yeah and that doesn't necessarily it doesn't always mean delivery of a, the end product it can be that they really oh my god this problem statement like i've never seen anything clear that you know i've you've probably had that before right you, you deliver something that to you or i is just bread and butter and they're like oh my how how did you do that like we've never yeah this is going to be so useful for us so like get something out early and then say you know i know we said 10 days but look you know we did this and you you know you're saying it's going to be really useful how about we discuss that constraint again you know and then just yeah again it's an informed decision based on what what they know a decision isn't a decision isn't always a decision forever it's a decision at a point in time and you know I think I think we should get better at having conversations about when is that decided until, yeah. in what situations will that decision be revisited? Yeah. You know, just because someone's pulled an arbitrary deadline out of the air doesn't mean we have to, you know, burn out an entire team to deliver it if that's not the right thing to do. And burning out a team is almost certainly never the right thing to do. You know, it's. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, it's it's questioning again, isn't it? Really, just and making sure that we're solving the right problem, um, in the right way. You're talking earlier, uh, you know, about the way that you know these roles are set up in organisations. I mean, I, I often get a mental picture of like a, a floor plan in an organisation with cubicles because it feels like that sometimes that there are cubicles. If you pop your head up. You can like look over and see everybody, but often, you know, our heads are just down and we're getting on within that particular um, discipline. I often think that it's the same with bodies of knowledge. You know, they're also distinct from each other and, you know, almost trying to keep each other at shoulders length and say, like, we're the most important um, body of knowledge. And I feel sometimes in all of that, we perhaps lose that collaboration that you were talking about earlier uh, and, and what I'm transitioning to now is community and yes. you know as as these niche roles emerge and they probably all get their own bodies of knowledge that tell them how to do their their jobs which uh, you know I use the word dilute here quite lightly I mean it's going to dilute business analysis to an extent potentially how can we retain a sense of community of business analysis across niche disciplines i feel like that could be quite a challenge it, it could i don't know the i don't know the answer to that but a way i look at it is if we if we zoom out and think that we are all practitioners of change it's, it's an ugly clunky phrase but that you know, and but there'll be people saying oh but we do product you know we're product not change it's like yeah okay but you're changing like you're incrementally developing and delivering a product or whatever, but there's still change, right? But we've all got something in common. Like, I don't care particularly. This is just me speaking now. I'm not saying anyone else should think like this. I'm just saying how I think. I don't care what my role title is. I don't care what the clients I work with, what they call my work. I call it business analysis. And I know I, you know, I bleed into other disciplines, and I think there are enough of us around. And, and I think I, I was, in fact, I was having this, this conversation. Um, I think it was with Fabricio, Fabricio Laguna in Brazil, the, the Brazilian BA, who, again, anyone listening should definitely follow. And, and, and we were chatting about stuff, and, and I was saying it's interesting because, like, there used to be, there always used to be a central hub for stuff. Right. Yeah. So like, and, and that had to be there. And I'm going back to the I, I used to live in a windmill time of my life when because the central orchestrating organization controlled information. Right. Because you couldn't like like there, it, there was a time when it wasn't as easy to get as much content as we all get now. Certainly wasn't as easy to get like for us to do this. 30 years ago and get people to listen to it would probably have involved sending audio cassettes out or CDs in the post or something, right? You know, um, or, or maybe so it's that, that kind of, that kind of thing. Whereas, whereas now that need for a central body to do stuff is communities can self-organize. So when I was speaking to Fabricio, this cloudy idea came into my head. It's like, it's like we're moving away from like, everything orbiting around some central sun 
to like a constellation of different people and organizations and you know and they can all exist and all thrive and but you don't have to be a large organization to to do stuff and you know and the ba- and where we place the boundary of that galaxy is largely a social construct right we you know you might draw that boundary in a different place to the way you practice business analysis to where I do. But that doesn't matter because you're doing awesome work for your clients and you're doing the stuff they need. And, you know, I'm trying to do the same for for mine. So so I guess that's a really long-winded way of saying that I, I, I'm not sure how much the identity... I don't think the identity matters to people outside of the community anywhere near as much as it does to us inside. And just a crazy analogy to draw there as I remember um, being with a relative in uh, who had a bit of a fall uh, in accident and emergency so the emergency room of a, of a hospital and there were all sorts of person visiting this relative who'd taken a fall all of whom had different titles and do you know what as a patient and as a relative of a patient you just don't care I, I don't care whether that person is a nurse practitioner, an advanced nurse practitioner, a doctor, a registrar, a senior registrar, a junior doctor, you know, a radiologist, uh, an orthopedic registrar or whatever. None of those things. I don't care where those boundaries are. What I want is this. Per- I want a good clinical outcome for that patient. And I want that that community to have decided who needs to do what, when. And do you know what? If an emergency occurs and someone, you know, heaven forbid, has a cardiac arrest or whatever, and the right person isn't there, I probably want the, you know, the people around to have enough training to deal with it while they get there. And put that into our world, and I know it's a crass analogy, but put that into our world, we're like, oh, no, everyone has to care that we're business analysts and we're, and we're not whatever. No, it's. Yeah. I just think I think we sometimes place, you know, and I understand why it's important, but if we focus on actually what clients, customers, stakeholders want and put that first and worry about the identity second, I think we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Um, res- what, what you said resonates a lot. Um, I've, I've often thought that, you know, we often pick up a book, a book that prescribes a particular way of doing our job and everybody's going about, their life wanting some change and we sort of point at the book and go no no we're like we're following this we need to do it this way and everyone's like I don't care I just want this outcome I want this result and and that's what we need to prioritize here I I think so and I think also is knowing that practices change and you know I think it was a guy I forget his name um Simon Wardley um, who invented Wardley mapping. Uh, I, uh, again, really interesting person to look up and follow, puts a lot of his stuff out there for free. And um, But I remember seeing him speak and he said, by definition, best practice is past practice, right? By definition, best practice is past practice. And there's nothing wrong with that if you're in a completely static environment where nothing's changed uh, and this is me adding on to what Simon said there where nothing's changed and you know but actually sometimes like you know it's totally fine to mold techniques together right mm. you know we will do it and it's that like dirty secret that oh do you know what this isn't a you know this isn't a pure way of using the technique but it, it gets the job done and that's that's what's important yeah and, and I think that you know I, I and I do think that having toolkits of techniques is really important but I think we've all got to be constantly looking out and you know what if you see a tool from another discipline that's really useful maybe we use it in a different way like it well I would go talk to them and learn about it and bring it in right that's that's what really excites me is like blurring the edges bringing stuff in from the from different worlds and getting our stuff into into their worlds but but it comes back to that you know the analogy but knowing that you're mainly apple that this is my speciality and i can do a bit of pear but go and speak to the pears and the oranges and the other yeah fruits and vegetables are available <laughs> yeah they are you've got a bit more choice the last thing i just want to pick out from what you said as well is um is about your um 
constellation really and that the profession will continue the networking of the profession will continue regardless of the organizations that also exist in the space um, and maybe this comes back to what you said before as well just having people that you can whatsapp and you know that they'll pick up in a day or two and, and help you out in the way that you need help absolutely and i think networking is an underrated skill and it doesn't have to be terrified. Like I, I used to be terrified of networking because I'm not, I, I'm not a, I, I find meeting people terrifying. I mean, I just do, right? You know, and 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 particularly in that, you know, if you think about networking, you know, you go to a networking event and everyone's in networking mode. That's that to me is just like I, it's I, I can do it, but it's it's I, I you know, but if you go to an event with BAs, everyone, it's like everyone's facing similar challenges. It's not like networking. It's like going to a family reunion or something in many ways. And, you know, I've, I've had the, I've been really fortunate and I've been able to come to the, you know, the BA summit, Southern Africa, which is fantastic. And anyone, whether or not you're in Southern Africa, you should go, go, go look that up. And, and, you know, and, it, and, and I have really great conversations with people and everyone's friendly, the BA conference, Europe, BA beyond, you know, um, there's, uh, uh, you know, an event in, in Germany of which BA Day, I think. There are all these different events and meetups. So, like, networking inside your organization is important, but meeting other BAs, not even just in your country. And there are, like, you know, there are, like, like there's Zoom, that there's the Brussels chapter has a, um, you know, a, a drop-in Zoom call every Friday and the UK chapter of IIBA does. So, you know, networking doesn't have to be scary, but it's it's... It, it, it's great for learning and and you know what it's one of those things where i found if you put you know if you network from the perspective of i'm not trying to get any you know i'm not trying to get anything out of this by networking but do you know what if i can help someone out i will and and and, and if you ever need anything you almost don't even need to ask the network is there you just sort of put it out on linkedin and you know if, and, and people will help you because they know you whereas if you haven't networked then you're kind of shouting at an empty room because you might have LinkedIn connections, but how many of those LinkedIn connections do you actually know? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are some wonderful last thoughts. Um, thank you for joining me on the show, Adrian. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you for everything that you throw out into the BA constellation. Um, I think you expand the boundaries of the universe, and I appreciate that. Well, no, I, I do. One thing, I, I actually... To do a cheeky little plug. You um, do a plug. Is B, B, A, B, A Digest. Um, if you go to badigest.link, um, quarterly um, open access journal that is now, well, magazine rather than journal, um, which is completely free. All of the past editions are completely free. You don't have to register. Um, and it's out every quarter. It is, um, it's technically indexed by the British Library now. It has an ISSN number which um, is more impressive than it sounds or less impressive than it sounds. But uh, yeah, so, um, but that, that again was one of the things we do with, with Digest is try and get different perspectives on business analysis. So if anyone listening wants to write an article, you know, get in touch. There's absolutely the opportunity for that as well.